0: Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. What a prayer by Jennifer. So beautiful. Um, Yeah, it was good to be with uh, part of the community this morning. Earlier at nine o'clock, it was great to just see all the kids uh, running around and and having fun. It was a beautiful day and a beautiful service. Um, Those of you who are at home watching, Happy Easter to you and and I hope that uh, this day is wonderful and blessed. Um, I got a word exciting word it's about the resurrection, <clears throat> which I, I think you'd expect uh, from the pastor but you know as pastors we we try to uh, come up with a uh, sort of a f- you know fresh special spin each year on the resurrection story uh, and i I don't think I'm alone as a pastor in feeling some pressure and, and stress about trying to come up with something uh, new that'll blow everybody away. But I really felt a comforting word from the Lord uh, this week that just said, Tell the story. Just tell the story. Because the story itself does not need any bells and whistles or production or pageantry. The story itself, like Jennifer prayed, uh, is something to be in awe of and to be in constant wonder. The Easter story is the greatest story of all time. The resurrection of Jesus is the greatest event in the history of the world. Well, the story takes us back to the very beginning, before humans were made, before animals and other creatures were made, before the earth was formed, before the stars were spread out through the universe. Way back in time, a decision was made between the three persons of the Holy Trinity to create this world that we know. The Lord God knew from the start that if humans were given freedom of choice, as opposed to being robots, that we would sin. All of us. There would be a unified rebellion against the Creator. We've all rebelled against God in one way or another. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And God knew this was going to happen, and he also knew that the only way to rescue us from the pit of guilt that we would dig for ourselves would be to redeem us by his own hand. So it was decided that the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, would take on a human form and come into the world and give his life as a ransom for many. The price to redeem humanity would be enormous. The Son would bear the sins of the world and take the punishment for us by dying on a cross. And so at the appointed time, about 2,000 years ago, the Son of God, the Christ, appeared, born in a little town called Bethlehem outside of Jerusalem. His name was called Jesus. For 30 years, Jesus lived a normal life as a Jewish boy and then as a carpenter by trade in his 20s. But then at 30 years old, he went public with who he really was. And he began his three-year ministry. He announced himself to be the one talked about in Isaiah 61. The Messiah. The eternal God. The Savior of the world. This one that the Jewish people were waiting for for thousands of years. To come and change everything. Now Jesus was a great teacher of parables Very innovative. He did miracles, but that's not what made him unique. He claimed to be in existence before Abraham. He claimed to be the bread of life, the king of an eternal kingdom. He claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life, and the only mediator between God and people. Now, these claims were outrageous, into some blasphemous. As you can imagine, these claims utterly disrupted the entire region where Jesus lived, Jerusalem and the surrounding towns. It was hard to be neutral about Jesus. Everybody had an opinion. As C.S. Lewis points out, you either thought of him as a liar or a lunatic, or as Lord, the Lord God. Society was divided over Jesus in the first century, and of course, still divided today. Those who thought Jesus was crazy, and a liar, and a blasphemer, were not content to just have their opinion about it. They wanted to exterminate him. He was despised and rejected. But those who are fans and followers of Jesus embraced him because he taught like no one ever taught, as one who had authority. He did dramatic miracles like walking on water, stilling the wind and the waves, raising people from the dead, turning water into wine, healing thousands of people. He demonstrated power over demonic spirits, and besides all this, he was kind and compassionate, full of love and mercy. The little children came to Jesus. He was flawless. He never sinned. And so they were convinced that this indeed is the promised Messiah. His public ministry lasted three years and came to an end during the one-week Jewish Passover feast. Jesus spent most of his time investing in 12 disciples. And the night before his arrest... He was with them sharing a Passover meal and trying to tell them his body needed to be broken and his blood needed to be shed to redeem people. This is the, the disciples uh, you know really didn't get it still, even after three years of, of being with him. And after dinner they sang a hymn and then went out to one of their favorite spots, the Mount of Olives, a garden called Gethsemane, and Jesus uh, suddenly became overwhelmed with sorrow. Exceedingly sorrowful, the Bible says, and announced that all the disciples would forsake him. They would scatter and flee. But, of course, the disciples said, no, Peter being the loudest in the bunch, He swore he would never forsake Jesus. Even if I have to die, I will not forsake you. But Jesus assured them that, oh, yes, you actually will forsake me. And Jesus was right. Jesus is always right. And after this heavy conversation, the disciples got sleepy with sorrow. But Jesus went out ahead of them, and he began to labor in prayer. So intense was his prayer that he prayed earnestly that he sweat drops of blood. And he was crying out to the Father that if there was just any way to get around drinking this cup of suffering that was before him, could it be possible? But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And he sort of had it, had it out in that prayer time and came to a place of resolution and went to the cross. Now, Jesus knew what would happen as they were out there in the the garden. A whole crowd of soldiers with uh, torches, clubs, and what else? Swords. (laughs) Came upon the little band of disciples. And Judas, who was actually one of the twelve, came up to Jesus and kissed him. As we say, betrayed with a kiss to let the soldiers know exactly who needed to be arrested. Now, Peter, in his boldness and uh, rage, uh, resisted this and, and pulled out the sword and cut off the ear of one of the servants of the high priest. But Jesus rebuked Peter and said, no, we're not doing it that way. And Jesus actually healed the man's ear. I always wonder what happened to that guy. I think his name is Malchus. I think he'll probably be in heaven. Jesus allowed the soldiers to arrest him and put him in chains. He was brought before the Jewish officials, uh, the high priest, the chief priests, the scribes and elders, This was pretty late at night, actually, right? It was after the dinner, after the prayer session in the the deep uh, garden of Gethsemane. And so it might have been midnight after midnight, and they kind of called this emergency meeting to question Jesus and accuse him. They plainly asked him, are you the son of God, the Messiah? And he said, I am. Well, they were not happy with that answer. The Jewish authorities were enraged. The high priest tore his robe as a symbol of grief over such blasphemy. They condemned him as deserving death. They spit on him. They covered his face and then struck him and in mockery said, prophesy to us. Tell us who struck you. This was all especially tragic because these were... These were his own people. These were the Jewish people. He came to his own, but they received him not, says in John chapter 1. Well, the Jews could not kill Jesus themselves, so they dragged him to Pilate, a Roman uh, governor, who then sent him over to King Herod, that maybe King Herod would do the dirty work, but then Herod sent Jesus back to Pilate, and Pilate was sort of forced to do something about this, and there was great crowds around Pilate pressing in, and it was on the brink of riot, and so he finally, Pilate finally caved in and agreed to have Jesus crucified. Now, Jesus was first flogged. If you've ever seen a sample of this instrument of torture, it's quite disturbing. It's a whip that had sharp pieces of bone and metal at the end of it, and it was designed to tear into the skin and just shred it like ribbons and bring a man inches from death. After this, they dragged him into the palace and brought the whole battalion around him, about 600 men, and they stripped him, put a purple robe on him, in mockery, of course, because he claimed to be king, and they made a crown of thorns and pressed it into his head until blood flowed. They saluted and bowed in homage to him in mockery. They struck his already bleeding head with a reed, And spit in his face. Now he could have. Just with one snap of the fingers. Called out to his father in heaven. And a legion of angels could have came down. And protected him. But he didn't. Because. This is exactly why Jesus came. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. This was the cost of our pardon. So they led him away to be crucified, and he was forced to carry his own cross through the crowded street, the Vio Doloroso, to the hill called Golgotha. It was in the morning at this point. People were mourning and weeping as they looked on. I like to think that uh, many in the crowd were the friends and followers of Jesus and that their faces uh, strengthened him and gave him courage to face what he was facing. The Bible says, For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. His eye was on that future day when he would present these purchased souls to his father. Now, when he reached his destination uh, with the help of Simon, who carried the cross for him, he was then laid down onto the rough wooden cross. His hands and feet were nailed with spikes into the rough wood. Crucifixion was designed to maximize the suffering for the criminal. He was lifted up, and the cross was dropped into the ground. Now besides the physical agony, the cross was humiliating as men hung almost naked and had to endure the scorns of their enemies who were at the foot of the cross. And this is exactly what happened to Jesus. Many mocked him as he hung in weakness. They ridiculed him for saving others but not being able to save himself. At noon... The sky went black. Just it's like the sun failed completely. I imagine it all of a sudden felt cold. It may be that this was the beginning of the soul suffering of Jesus. When he would now drink the cup of the wrath of Almighty God. The punishment for sin would be upon this spotless Lamb of God. We don't know exactly uh, what this suffering entailed. I'm sure we wouldn't even be able to comprehend it if it was explained to us. But somehow Jesus took the punishment that we deserve for our sins. And after three hours of the blackened sky... Jesus finally cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some feel that that is the moment that the Father's face was turned away. Again, we really don't understand the suffering. We don't understand the enormity of it, the depth of it. If you go back to the Garden of Gethsemane and think about the way Jesus prayed and was dreading this cup that he was to drink, he was no weak individual. He was a brave, courageous man, But this was a suffering like nothing we can even fathom. And he was drinking the cup on that cross. But what we do know is the last thing Jesus did is he uttered a loud cry. Just a wail. And then took his final breath. Now when the last breath went out of him, there was a great Earthquake that just shook the earth. The curtain in the temple that separated the most holy place from the Holy of Holies was torn from top to bottom. And this was a symbolic act of God revealing that the death of Christ removes the veil and gives us access into the holy place, into that place where God's presence is. That's what the cross did. The Bible also says that tombs were opened. I love this verse. And the bodies of many saints were raised out of the tombs and went into Jerusalem and appeared to many. Whoa. The dead body of Jesus was placed in an empty tomb and a large stone was rolled in front of the tomb. And the tomb was sealed by the Roman seal and was guarded by Roman soldiers. The Gospel of Matthew, all the Gospels give different angles and perspectives. It's really beautiful to kind of read them all together. I did that this week, just kind of read the four Gospels, uh, or the uh, uh, kind of the last days of Jesus' life in each of the Gospels. Uh, But this is from the Gospel of Matthew. It tells us that there was a great earthquake, another earthquake, and this time an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, rolled back the stone, and sat on it. And I like to think that he just looked, made eye contact with the Roman soldiers. (laughs) Because the Bible says that the guards trembled and became like dead men the angel said to the women the friends of jesus who were who were also there do not be afraid for i know that you seek jesus who was crucified he is not here for he is risen the official announcement christ is alive But the resurrection of Jesus was not just a testimony of an angel. The risen Christ met with the women on the road and talked with them. They clung to his ankles. They touched him. The risen Christ talked with two of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. They didn't know who they were talking to, but they were talking to him for a long while, and he was explaining to them how the Messiah was supposed to die and unpacking the scriptures to them, and their hearts were burning on the road. And then they broke bread together and had a meal together. And then Jesus opened their eyes so they could see that it was him. The risen Christ walked through a wall. I love this. He, come on, he was kind of playing with the disciples, I think. Uh, and he knew, he knew them. They, they were also his friends, right? And so he, I think he, he was a little mischievous, you know, in, in the sense of like, I'm going to just come through this wall right now. Is there hiding in fear of the Jews, and Jesus just comes right through the wall and says, Greetings. Peace. And they were, of course, completely overwhelmed and astonished when he did that. But they had a conversation, and they touched his nail-scarred hands and his side. And he came in later, because Thomas wasn't at that uh, particular gathering Doubting Thomas, as we call him. But he came in later and dispelled the doubts of Thomas. And Thomas fell down at his feet and said, My Lord, my God, I worship you. Jesus showed up at a beach at the Sea of Tiberias and performed an identical miracle for the disciples that he did earlier, kind of in his ministry, I think in the first year. Um, when, if you remember that story when he said, oh, you guys haven't caught anything? You haven't caught any fish? Throw your net on the other side of the boat. And they did, and they caught so much fish they could barely haul it in. And so Jesus did this same kind of miracle at this point. And then they came up onto the beach, and they spent some time together. Jesus was uh, basically barbecuing on the beach, cooking fish. And he said, bring some of the fish you caught. And they have this conversation. That was a beautiful story, too, because uh, Jesus healed uh, the relationship with Peter. Peter was, you know, he went out and wept bitterly after he denied Christ but this was the restoration of the Apostle Peter. You can read about that in the Gospel of John. Well, the Apostle Paul tells us that Jesus also appeared to 500 people in one location. He was with them on the mountain when he was blessing them, praying for them. Perhaps says he kind of lifted his hands up and he was just kind of, praying for them. And as he was praying for them, he started to rise into the air and go up what seemed like an invisible escalator (laughs) and went into glory. That'll make you a believer, just seeing that. I think they were changed forever. And my message today is that Jesus Christ is no mere... Man. He's not just a teacher, a miracle worker, or a prophet. He's not just somebody who died a noble death as a martyr for a cause. He was and is and always will be the living God. He died and was raised by the power of God. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And every knee shall bow before him one day. Every tongue will confess that Jesus. Christ is Lord. There's only one mediator between God and men. The man Jesus. There's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved but the name of Jesus. It's not just a story. It's not just an idle tale. This has relevance not just for us as church people as Christians, but it has relevance for every single human being on the earth. He came for a reason, because we needed him to come. The Bible says there's no way that we can save ourselves. There's really nothing we can do. All have sinned. Not all the same. Some people sin in enormous ways, and some maybe in less ways, but we've all sinned, the Bible says, and have fallen short of the glory of God. We need a Savior. The only way to enter into glory safely is by being covered in the righteousness of Jesus. Sort of his perfect life that he lived, think of it as a a, a garment, he offers to us. To put on for free. That there's no, we can't bargain with him. It's, it's a free garment of righteousness. But we need that garment of righteousness upon us when we stand before God. Because we're going to die. That's one thing we know for certain. We're going to stand before God one day. And we need that coat of Christ's righteousness. That free gift. Because if we stand there, without that, we stand there on our own merits. And the Bible is clear that our good works, our moral deeds, even our prayers or fastings or whatever we might do, our religious practices, none of that can save us in the end. The only thing is the covering of Christ. And the good news is, That covering is open to us to come under. And he welcomes all. The Bible said it's not God's will for any to perish. He doesn't want anybody to be left out. The door is wide open and he calls us to come to him if we're weary and he'll give us rest. So if you're here this morning or if you're listening, um, don't hesitate. I know that There are a lot of people in this world that try to uh, discredit the Bible or they try to tell us that Jesus Christ was just a man or it's just another religion. Look into it for yourself. Don't believe anybody. Uh, Look into it for yourself. Uh, Study the scriptures. Find out whether or not Jesus was really risen from the dead. Call out to God just on your own. Just pray to him. And don't listen to all the voices around you. You know, there's just so many people, especially in our culture, in, in the Rhode Island area, in New England, uh, this is not a very believing culture. A lot of people are, have become very secular, very just don't believe anything. They don't think anybody knows anything. Um, don't just go with that crowd. Don't just go with the flow of what everyone else seems to be doing. Um, search it out for yourself. Uh, search, search it out. Come before the Lord you know there's no there's no real big thing that we need to do you know i think some people think well you got to now what do i have to do i got to uh, do all the commands of the bible to somehow like earn my standing before god no it doesn't work like that we we don't earn it we we just come just as we are like in, in with our empty cup <laughs> and we ju- we just come before him, and we, we, we have nothing. We're, we have sin, and guilt, and shame, and we're broken, you know, and we just say, uh, here I am. And, and that's really what it means to, to become a follower of Jesus, that we, we just come and present ourselves to him, and we say, uh, Jesus, I need you. Um, save me. Make me alive. And what happens when we do that, when we turn our back on sin, and we say, okay, I'm done with that lifestyle, and I I just want to, to know God, I want to please God, I want to do the right thing, I want to be reconciled with God, what happens is something that I didn't realize when I became a follower of Jesus, but something really incredible, amazing happens. The Holy Spirit comes and does this work inside of you, The Holy Spirit comes, and just as we saw, Jesus was raised from the dead. So the same power that rose Christ from the dead comes upon us and raises us up out of our spiritual death and places us in in Christ. So we are secure in Christ, covered in his righteousness, untouchable. We're in him. We're, the Bible says, actually, we're seated in heavenly places. We're hid in Christ by this work of the Holy Spirit. Now, you, you can't do that work on your own. That's God's work. Our job is surrender. Our job is, I can't do this. I don't know how to, I'm not good enough. I get it. I'm hearing this gospel message, and it's resonating in my heart. I believe. That's all we can do. Even that, God is stirring that and moving upon us even to uh, pull in that direction. But if you're listening this morning and you're in that place, don't don't hesitate. Uh, Come to God. Cry out to him. I'm going to pray for you now um, that your heart would be opened and that uh, you'd be given a new life by God. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for coming and dying for us. Thank you for giving your life, allowing your body to be brutalized in our stead so that we can be free, so that we can be forgiven. Lord, I want to pray for those who are not yet in you. Maybe they believe. Maybe they're feeling some inspiration. Maybe this is all resonating with them, but they're still kind of on the outside looking into it. Lord, I pray that you would draw them even now as I pray. Just draw them, Lord. Open up their heart and just give them a new life. Put your Holy Spirit in them and make them brand new. And even as the the flowers... Bloom this spring. I pray that they would bloom spiritually into brand new life in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for this resurrection day. Be blessed. Be glorified. We love you. You are awesome. And we worship you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being with us this morning. Those who came in person, good to see your faces. Uh, Little amen corners It's great just to preach to real people and not just a camera. And (laughs) Those of you who are listening at home, watching at home, I hope your day is wonderful and that the love of God would just be poured out uh, all day long. Love you. See you soon. God bless.